This is Liam Hendricks and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Barroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline. It's luxurious lakeshore marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and like everybody else in the state of Illinois and anywhere in the Midwest where it went from zero to 50 in the span of three days, I'm dealing with a cold so bear with me. Today's episode of Crosstown Crosstalk is very exciting. There's a lot of things going on in the sports landscape right now. You got the college football playoff on Saturday night. You got the NFL races for division championships and wildcard berths really heating up with two weeks left to go in the NFL season. The National Hockey League and the NBA are in full swing. Teams are battling for position. It's too early to be talking about playoffs, but it's really not too early to be talking about playoffs. And that leaves Major League Baseball, which is in the middle of its offseason season. And in this town, baseball never sleeps. Baseball never sleeps in my brain. We're always worrying about what we're going to do next in this position, what my favorite team's going to do here. Obviously, this is a Chicago-centered podcast. And when I think about the White Sox, there's a lot of Cuban descent that comes into the Chicago White Sox play. And a lot of players hail from the country of Cuba. And there is nobody that I would rather talk to about the genius behind Cuban baseball prospect development, player development, all the stuff, than Phil Sillig, the inventor of CubaDugout.com. Phil, how are we doing? Not too bad. Good day. Uh, greetings from from the Great White North. Although I guess you guys are, uh, you're mirroring us there. So Yeah. Okay. So hear this out. We were zero and then it got to minus eight, maybe Friday or Thursday of last week, right before Christmas. And today... 55 i'm ready to go swimming how does that sound to you it's it's balmy here i stepped outside before and and uh had a had a cohiba and was joking i think i'm gonna fire on some short pants it was uh it's uh it's it's a nice respite uh i suspect it won't be long but uh, we're enjoying it here so so it seems to be cutting across uh a great swath in north america i did go outside in shorts this morning do you think i'm a weirdo 53 i'm like let's wear some shorts let's go no but i think you're an honorary canadian so Oh, listen, there are a lot of Canadian things about me, including my love of hockey, including my love of baseball, because baseball is really it's bigger in Canada than I think most people would say. Obviously, you are one of the native sons that is a baseball fan from Canada, but your first love is Cuban baseball players, if I can assume that correctly, based on all the great work you do making content around Cuban prospects and players playing in Major League Baseball. There probably hasn't been 
a name bigger. There might be names equally as big, but Jose Abreu has kind of been the cream of the crop when it comes to Cuban baseball over the last 10 years. He's been one of the best players to come from that country. Obviously, all of his games that he's played in Major League Baseball have come on the south side of Chicago wearing their uniform playing for the Chicago White Sox. He is gone. He is now a member of the Houston Astros, the defending World Series champion. In your opinion, what are the White Sox losing in Jose Abreu? What is their lineup what 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 are the repercussions of losing a player like that? Yeah, so so Abreu uh, goes from one Cuban rich organization to another, a, a team that uh, recently dubbed the Houston Castros, and so uh, goes in and, and is probably going to end up filling the uh, the role that Yuli Gurriel uh, was uh, was filling for them. There is a chance that he might still come back, but um, you know I think it's a great move for for the Astros, perhaps a little bit of an overpay, but where they are and and um, sort of what they're looking for for a guy that uh, I, I think is probably going to slot into the number six or the number seven spot for them hopefully be that uh you know a, a solid clubhouse presence but when you've won two world series is that it's probably more important not to be disruptive and and which i uh, i suspect he won't be uh so what the white Sox are losing obviously you know a guy that's been been the face for for close to the past decade um you know a guy that hopefully was tutoring some of the uh some of the younger players um, you know, at this point, are you losing as much production? Maybe that cushions the blow a little bit, but I, I think he's going to bounce back a little bit or at least provide um, what's needed in that Astros lineup. Is that what the White Sox needed? Clearly, they, they might think not. Um, and, you know, we discussed last time we chatted just kind of how some of that roster construction was a little wonky. Maybe that clears some of that logjam, but uh, I, I don't think you're going to replace that player outright versus they're going in a different structure and hoping that some other people can step up and, and and kind of deliver on different roles. So you talked about what the White Sox would might be losing in Jose Abreu, but you look at Houston's lineup, right? They're the defending World Series champions. Their pitching is off the hook. What did they give up, like 14 runs the whole postseason? And seven of them came to the Mariners in their opening game. I mean, their pitching was just absolutely dominant. But when you look at their starting batting order, you're running out Jose Altuve. This Jeremy Pena took the world by storm. He was arguably better than his predecessor, Carlos Correa, who left for big free agent money. Um, obviously, Jordan Alvarez, we'll get to him in just a second. But Alex Bregman, I mean, this team is magnificent. Tucker, basically the only one they sacrifice offense for is if Maldonado is playing catcher that day and their offense is just off the hook. So you add someone like Jose Abreu, he might have been a victim of the White Sox singles approach that a lot of people think they took last year. He might get right back to hitting 30 home runs a season again next year with the Astros. You might have a different philosophy on things. What does he bring to their lineup? Who in their lineup gets impacted the most by bringing in someone like Abreu? Now think of it from an Astros point of view. Yeah, and so I, I think that the expectations for him walking, even, even as much as they probably did pay him a little bit more than people were expecting, is for him to just come in and fit in. And, um, you know, you look at that team, you just kind of went up and down that lineup. I think a lot of it, and this goes for everybody, but a lot of it's going to come to to health. So, um, you know, Altuve still getting it done. Um, Jordan Alvarez is still on the rise, but there's a guy who's had some health concerns. Alex Bregman, another guy that you look and say when he's healthy. Uh, so those are the guys that you're probably going to look at and expect to do the the heavy lifting. Um, whereas with an Abreu, you just hope that he can come in and provide a little bit more run production, obviously, than than that they were seeing from uh, from from Guriel uh, and and the guy that's proven that he can, especially in in sort of those two strike. Uh, uh, 
those two strike and those two out uh, approaches that a guy that even if his numbers didn't jump off the page last year, you know, that in a, in a situation where you need someone to put bat to ball or you need someone to advance that runner or to, to, to drive in that run, he's going to be that guy. And if that's in your, again, if that's in your number six or your seven, seven spot, the rich get richer. And, and I think he's a great fit for that lineup. Absolutely. And we touched on Jordan Alvarez just a tad. Um, he has been one of the best hitters when healthy in all the playoffs. I mean, he was just magnificent in the postseason last year, especially against the, that Seattle Mariners in that series, you know, with the big hits that he had to help, you know, eclipse that Mariners team that seemed to be a Cinderella type of team. But the Astros were like, no, thank you. We got Jordan Alvarez to take care of business here. Do you believe he has potential to be a top 10 hitter in Major League Baseball? I have him as one of the premier designated hitters in the whole league. He's shown it. And, and I mean, if um, he did show a, a big, um, I mean, one of the reasons why he was effective was compared to a lot of people was using the field. So I guess now if the shift is off, does that negate some of that or does he continue to, uh, to, to ascend? There's no doubt he was, uh, he's, he's shown, um, you know, at points where he can get red hot in the playoffs. I mean, there were the two occurrences this year, both times kind of had the game on the background and, and look up at the scenario and go, you're walking this guy, right? And then Robbie Ray throws him a cookie. And then same thing happens in the World Series both times where it's just like, you, you can't be serious. Why, why are you throwing to this guy in that situation? So as he matures, um, you know, I think that uh, the, the sky is, uh, is very, very high for him. And, and actually maybe uh, more than anything, if bringing in a Bray, a fellow countryman, a guy that, that no doubt he has to respect, you know, can, can maybe help him get better. I don't know um if that's necessary but it doesn't hurt but yeah this is a guy that the the tools are there and you know when he's healthy and, and he showed he was largely healthy last year but when he's healthy um yeah i think uh to to project him to be a top 10 hitter in the league if he isn't already uh he's going to be there so back to the white Sox. yasmani grendahl had a terrible season i think we probably talked about that the last time you were on he was just abysmal all season long. He's been working with the Chicago Blackhawks strength and conditioning coach all off season so far. And if there was a sport to work with someone's strength and conditioning coach for a baseball player, I'm kind of thinking hockey might be the route to go. And he's been here all summer or all winter working with the Hawks and getting him his body back into the shape he believes it needs to be in to be a productive hitter and catcher in this league. He is amongst most players that surprisingly had a bad year last year across the whole league is one of the likeliest to be a bounce back candidate coming here into 2023. Do you think Grendahl is one of those bounce back candidates or do you think it's over? I think that the, the the White Sox find themselves with quite a few people that are in that situation, um, and obviously UM Moncada being another one. Um, it, it, it's tough, so it's one of those things where at this point he's um, he's a bit of a sunk cost. I know that the the White Sox um, were looking for for catching help, and even some rumors speculated maybe a, a reunification with uh, with McCann from the Mets, which you know on the surface you, th that deal didn't look great. So you're kind of you're kind of rolling with what you have there. Um, you know, as long as does he have to bounce all the way back? What, what does that mean? As long as he's at least league average or, or, or anywhere near at this point, if the other um, the other cogs in that lineup are the ones that I look at and say that uh, have to do more of that heavy lifting. As long as um, as long as Grandel doesn't repeat what he did this year, you know, if he gets back to anywhere near uh, regresses anywhere near the mean, I think that, that that's a that's a good thing. If not, is he? 
does he have one year left or two years left on that one. deal? Yeah. One year, one year left on that deal. So I mean, at that point, you I think you roll with him, see if he has a chance to be healthy, and if not, then then kind of either reevaluate what you uh, have in your system or make a move at the deadline. Absolutely. And so another person that we would like to see bounce back a little bit, it's not that he was bad by any means last year. He was actually, I remember I had you on early before the season started last year. And we talked about Luis Robert being one of the best players in the whole league potentially, and how he had the tools to be a top 10 type of guy like that. At least, at least the head honcho of the Chicago White Sox at very minimum, you know, for sure. And in the first half, he kind of was doing that. He was on pace for 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. He was, I remember there was one ball that he hit out of Fenway Park. I'm like, that might be the farthest I've ever seen a baseball go in a major league baseball game. And then in the second half, there were injuries and inconsistencies. And now everyone's a little worried about Luis Robert coming into 2023. He won a gold glove as a rookie in 2020. His defense has steadily declined since then a lot of it could be because of the injury that he sustained in 2021 but his body could be getting back to normal to start 2023 we kind of hope so what's your take on Luis Robert as we move into the new year so I I understand the frustration that uh that Sox fans have and I mean it it, uh it doesn't start with him but it certainly trickles down to a guy that uh, you're looking at and saying you want to be the face of the franchise certainly has the skills to be the face of the franchise um he's still young but it can get uh, it can get late early I, I still have faith in 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 what he can do I think uh, you mentioned defensively maybe if injuries had an impact on that um I think there's going to be a, a lot of pressure taking him off of him this year if first and foremost you know the Benintendi signing I think does make uh, things a little bit easier Benintendi who um, you know has has played gold glove defense sometimes the metrics don't love him but I think he's definitely better than what you've been trotting out there and then if Oscar Colas takes over right field even even as a rookie I think uh, is gonna is going to represent a, uh, a defensive upgrade so uh, w- with Rover I think as long as as he does come back healthy I mean there's uh, I think we discussed it last time if we didn't get too in depth, but more has kind of come out to how they mismanaged that. And basically if he, if they, if he was playing in a situation where he should have, uh, should have at least rested a little yet, maybe been shut down. Um, you know, I, I've, I've written an article uh, on the website where, where I do compare him to, uh, to Eric Davis. Um, you know, there's some eerie comparisons there, both in terms of that skill set, otherworldly, but then also will injuries kind of hold him back from that. It's still, I'm hoping still too early to worry about that, but, um, until he proves he's healthy, uh, are, are we going to see the best out of him? I, I have some faith. I think this year, uh, you know, if um, maybe anything, what was going through that clubhouse, and if it is directly at Tony's feet, the fact that he's gone, maybe some of that is you kind of start fresh. And, and uh, as mentioned, between him, uh, Grandel, uh, Moncada, there's a lot of guys that I think have to come back and and uh, and prove, uh, prove themselves this year. But, um, you know, if there's that many people on a lineup, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Can they can they work through it together, or do the guys all put pressure on themselves? I'm not certain, but I am very intrigued to see uh, what a healthy rover can do. But we've been saying that for for three years now, so. Yes, we certainly have. And I promise this is going to be the last question I ask that starts with, "Do you think this guy is going to suck forever?" Yoan Mankata. <laughs> he. He is one of the most interesting people I've ever come across in this league, I think. He is one of those people who, when you watch him play, you're like, this guy's a superstar, right? Like, you know, he's got all the tools. His swing is perfect. He runs like a magician. Like, everything about – he's a wizard at defensive third base. When you watch – the eye test tells you he's one of the best players in the league. And then you look at his numbers. 
and his numbers have been brutal since the end of the 2021 season. They were elite in 2019. He got some MVP votes. Then there was the down year in 2020, 60 game. Everyone gets a mulligan, in my opinion, from that year. It was hard. 2021, he was pretty good. He was a four-and-a-half war player. People complained about Moncada when he was a four-and-a-half war player, and now they would, like, cut off their pinky to get Yoan Moncada back to being a four-and-a-half war player because he was so bad this year. But – to have a OPS just under 700 and still be a positive war player tells you how good he was on defense. But what is going on with this guy? Is he ever going to be a superstar? Is he just a guy? He hasn't, he hasn't been good enough. There's no, no doubt about that. I think that um, of, um, of all of the guys in that lineup that is might have the shortest leash. Um, I, I don't want to say that this is a make or break year for him, but I think it could be. And and at the same time, this guy who has made money over his career, but is uh, approaching where that window to really make that uh, that big contract is is coming soon. Be that in Chicago or or somewhere else. And right now, it's looked like uh, looked like that bet on him wasn't uh, wasn't worth it. Again, still young enough. Um, I, I suspect there's a level. Maybe it's a maturity play. Um, you know, I've I've done some some research. He is a kid that I saw play originally. In in, in Cuba and his path uh, out of Cuba is fascinating. And, and I put together a, a YouTube video on that. So there's obviously there's been quite a bit that's circling around that, um, you know, at this point, maybe is he, can he turn that corner both uh, in terms of health and maturity? If he does, the tools are there. If not, you know, um, is this, is this it, you know, how much, uh, how much more runway can the, uh, can the Sox give him and wait for him to, to come around? Cause as you say, after 2019, all right, this is, this looks like it's, uh, you know, cashing in on some of that promise, even if the strikeouts were, were way too high. So, um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a broken record. It's bounce back. Uh, it, it's got to be a bounce back season for these guys or else uh, I think the White Sox have to look at, uh, at at doing a major restructure as much as they've done a level of that this year. Um, but, you know, I, I think the tools are there. Same thing as I said with Rover. If the if the um, if the pressure's on everybody, maybe there's a little less pressure on everyone, or maybe there's massive pressure on everyone. So, uh, but but I'm very intrigued to see what he does this year. And I can't I can't make a prediction other than I hope as uh, you know again as a guy that uh, that I saw play on the island, and I want uh, I want good things to to occur for for anybody that uh, that, that comes out of that system. But um, he's going to have to he's going to have to step it up, put in that work, and really focus on on nothing but baseball. Baseball. Have you ever heard his song? Yeah, I, I, I sampled a little bit of it at the beginning of my video, and and uh, you know, personal disaster. Yeah, it, maybe that's uh, maybe that's appropriate. Uh, maybe it was foreshadowing. Maybe it's what he needs to overcome. Um, so it's just, uh, and and maybe you know what? Maybe maybe he's a kid that's gotten by purely on physical tools at this point, and now has to kind of put his uh, nose to the grindstone and make it happen. You know, maybe Abreu was a safety blanket for him, um, and and him being gone. Maybe it's a, a sign that, you know, the uh, the leash is going to be a little bit tighter and it's time to step up. I've been at a party where Desastre Personal plays and there are people dancing to it that have never heard of Yoan Moncada, never watched a White Sox game. It's a banger. It's an absolute banger. <laughs> and I don't even I don't even listen to Latino music that often. But the Yoan Moncada, Desastre Personal, you ever need to be, like find that ability to run through a wall worth of excitement? Listen to that song. Oscar Colas, we touched on him. He is going to be the starting right fielder for the Chicago White Sox. There are rumors out there that they are going to extend him 
before they start the season, similar to what they did with Luis Robert and Johan Moncada before the start of the season when they made their debut, something they didn't do with Andrew Vaughn. But they're going to try and do it with Oscar Colas before the start of the season. He's been great at every level he's played in, a little bit different than most Cuban guys. Mm -hmm. He ended up playing in Japan instead of coming out through Cuba. So I'm wondering – has the fact that he's been good everywhere he's played so far, including Japan, including AAA, what should I expect to see from him in year one with the White Sox? Because got to temper my expectations a little bit. Well, 100%. And this is, like you say, this kid that's been through on uh, or been on quite a journey. Um, and and so if he does sign that extension in advance, uh, that kind of makes some of the ups and downs worth it. Because, uh, you know, there's a guy that uh, due to some of the circumstances, some of the timing, his bonus was way lower than it, than it could have been. And also, you know, probably could have been making money if he had stayed in Japan, at least for a couple of years there. That cost him some development time. But, you know, based on his performance in, in 2022, it doesn't look like it hurt him so you know everything um and now now that the aspirations of pitching are put aside i i, I always suspected that might be the case but as as that strong left-handed bat that has a, a nice um you know a nice balanced approach a lot of his power seems to be going the the other way and and um you know stayed within himself this year and and you know has the tools um or at least has the arm for for right field and and uh you know actually did play quite a bit of time in center in uh, in in the minors which um yeah i can understand as an organization you, you want to figure out what you you have there but also if that um you know if you know he's going to be in right field but at least he can you know it shows that he has some of that range so it, it um it appears he's ready um and and more importantly it sounds like the white Sox are ready i think that's a bigger component than 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 anything and if they kind of given that opportunity to uh to take that job out of out of spring training and, and see what he can do are you happy that he gave up pitching I don't think it was ever a real thing, um, you know, and and so I can be a little bit biased uh, in in terms of if 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 in the national series in Cuba they weren't really milking him for that and they didn't really do it in Japan was it was it just because you know uh, was it a marketing ploy by his people to try and get a bigger bigger payday um, you know we might've discussed this before that, that calling him because you know, the debate turned from is it fair to call him the Cuban Otani, you know, when that was first uh, kind of, uh, when, when that was first kind of attached to him, Otani wasn't Otani yet. You know, we, we knew kind of who he was, but had him put together the numbers. So, you know, that's one of those things where it sort of outpaced what it was. And, and, you know, Otani doing what he's doing, if anyone else could do it, you know, kudos to them, but there's a reason why only he has done it. So I think it takes the pressure off. I, I don't know if uh, the Sox didn't sign in for that purpose and more than anything with them trying to kind of reboot the aspirations that they had, what they really need is for him to be a solid uh, corner, uh, corner outfielder and put any of the rest of that, um, any of that, the rest of it behind them. Do you think Otani is enough of a unicorn where we won't see another one like him for 50 to hundred years? It's possible. I mean, and I, I haven't uh, studied enough to know, is it just, is, is, is he the unicorn or was there something in, in the, uh, in the, in the, you know, the training in, in Japan, clearly, you know, they're not trying it with too, too many other guys. And I mean, hitting's hard. 
fielding's hard, pitching's hard, doing <laughs> all of it together is hard. So, you know, he, he is, uh, he is ridiculous. And, and, you know, maybe it's temperament, maybe it's tools, maybe it's all of those things. I, I just, you think about young players and, and um, you know, how hard it is to, to, to break through and, and to play this game. And then you're going to try and do it on both sides of the ball. So maybe it is just catching lightning in a bottle. It's uh, you know, I, um, I don't know many organizations that would even know how to even try and, and bring that, uh, that type of player along, how to manage them. So um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a long time. Yeah. Even Babe Ruth didn't do them both at the same time. People always say he's Japanese. Babe Ruth did not hit and pitch at the same time, the way Otani is. And that, and so the fact that it took 150 years for this league to put out someone exactly like Otani, that makes me think like, okay, he is a unicorn. You know, it'll be 100 years before we see it again. But at the same time, I'm like, when I was playing baseball as a kid, the best hitter on the team was always the best pitcher, right? And like, they were just the best athlete on the team usually. And so is Otani going to inspire these kids to not give one of the two up by the time they turn 15, 16 years old? Like we all did. Like by when, when I turned 15, I realized, okay, you're either going to be a pitcher or you're going to be a hitter. And every kid was like that. So I do often wonder, I battle back and forth with it, kind of like you do. Yeah. And that, and that mentality and, and you are right. So, I mean, as I wasn't that kid, <laughs> I was a grinder playing baseball. And, and uh, so, you know, but uh, you're right. It did seem like uh, to certain levels where it was always, you know, the, the one guy who went in when he wasn't your star pitcher was, was your top third baseman. But then at a certain age, do people grow out of it or do, or do organizations make them grow out of it again for the sake that maybe they just don't know how to, how to deal with that, uh, that type of, um, that type of talent. That being said, would you then go on the record and say that the angels know how to do it or he just fell into their lap? So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing. And, and so I guess it, it is kudos, kudos to him. That skill set's incredible. And, you know, if we do see more of it though, uh, you know, baseball is always trying to save money. Uh, so if you can, you can go two for one on it. I think if they, if they had that, uh, if they had any inkling of how to develop that type of player, they'd be working on it or I know they're working on it, but they'd be, uh, they'd be pushing harder for it. Yeah. You can argue that whatever team gives them $500 million, you know, next off season, that team is going to be cheaping out in a lot of ways because you could pay DeGrom 300 million and Aaron judge 300 million or you could pay Otani $500 million, get a better pitcher than DeGrom probably lately and a better hitter than Judge in most years. And, like it's And, and yeah. younger and younger than both of them. So Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so the Chicago White Sox as a team, are they going to be better than 81 and 81 next year? I think so. I mean, actually, uh, I think a lot of it's going to come down more, more to the pitching side of it because, as mentioned, even without making a big splash and, yes, losing a Abreu hurts, I think just having a better alignment. Um, if uh, if the guys come in and, and, and act professional and, like you say, if the if that clubhouse issue seems to be gone, the, the talent is there. Otherwise, though, if uh, if they're not better than 81 and 81, you know, are you looking at uh, are you looking at tearing it down? There's still enough youth there. There's still enough upside, but uh, this is this is going to be a year that they have to uh, have to do something about it. Is there a Cuban player coming in the ranks that you've never mentioned on the show? I know I ask you this a lot, but I'm always intrigued. Like, you know, three or four months go by, there might be a new person that has been discovered that you would be the first to know about out of anyone in my little circle. 
I'm curious to know if a new name comes to mind, someone you want to share with the class. Uh, so we're seeing that there's going to be a couple players this year. Um, I think uh, one chap uh, is is rumored to be the top level signing for the uh, for the Yankees and 15 or 16 years old. Um, sorry, his name name actually escapes me right now, and 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 that might be more emblematic of the fact that at that uh, at the conventional sort of um, system as it existed has really changed. Um, so, so it is a lot of younger players. And so I give the caveat that, um, the next 10 years are going to be very interesting. We're going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, young players basically that come out of Cuba, but uh, debate whether or not, you know, their development is truly Cuban. You know, that could be a good thing too, because you've got a longer runway. The, the kids are signing for cheaper and cheaper. Um, so, so right now um, I would say that uh, basically all of the, all of the cohort of players that I, I, had an opportunity to kind of see that we're having that impact at the national series of either signed or, or, or close to signing. And we've seen, uh, you know, we, we've seen the, the white Sox uh, jump on board with a, with a Lloydell uh, Chappelle, who's a young piece that they, they brought along this year and, and um, you know, testing out both in the infield and the, uh, and in the outfield uh, and had, um, you know, put up uh, great numbers in the Dominican uh, summer league. So there's a kid that I'm intrigued to watch. Um, so, you know, it's a bit of a cop-out answer, except to say that uh, right now, I think that uh, things are really changing, and, and most of it is the kids are, are kind of getting out, they're getting to the Dominican, and when the scouts see them for the first time, they're, uh, they're really jumping on these younger kids, 15, 16. That's awesome. I love hearing that. So you got the World Baseball Classic coming up. Obviously, from my point of view, I live in Chicago. I was born here. I'm going to root for Team USA. For the most part, there's a couple White Sox players playing on Team USA, too. Obviously, I kind of handle it the way I handle the World Juniors. I'll root for Team USA and then the Devils. Whatever Devils players, like Simone Nemich led Team Czech or Team Slovakia to a big win over Team USA. I wasn't mad about it. I'm like, that's my guy. He's going to play for the Devils one day. Same thing kind of goes for the White Sox. Team Cuba is going to have some... Some White Sox players on. I will certainly be rooting for. They'll, they'll be my Czech or they'll be my Slovakia of baseball. And I'm curious, what do you make of this roster? What has come out of it so far? And do you think they can maybe go on a little bit of a run? Because a Dominican team too. They they scare me. One hundred percent. So somewhere in the back of my mind, and and I've always, um, as this process is kind of uh, un, unwound. Um, I think I can say with pretty good certainty that I think the pros are going to be there as part of Team Cuba. That can that can always fall apart. You know, someone's always looking to uh, to point the finger, but it looks like most of those hurdles have been overcome. Most of those roadblocks are out of the way. So, uh, two of the names that have uh, have put their uh, have said that they want to join the team and and appear to be invited are uh, Luis Rover and and Yuan uh, Moncada, uh, two players that um, kind of left with. I don't want to say permission. That's not really a thing, but left under under solid auspices, and that's why they are welcome back. Um, politics do infuse themselves in this. Make no mistake about it. So, for anybody that's looking at uh, the potential Cuban roster, recognize that it's not going to be a Major League Baseball All Star team, but it is going to be fortified and is going to be a much better team than than it would have been without these guys. So, um, whereas before uh, Cuba might have struggled to get out of, uh, I believe they're in they're in Taiwan. 
on to start and they're in a pool with uh, with a team that's actually become their nemesis in the Netherlands, which is, you know, a testament to how strong baseball is. But the, the Netherlands obviously is, is uh, chock full with players from the uh, from the Dutch Antilles. Uh, so that's there's there's probably a lot of familiar names there and a lot of guys that are playing in the major leagues and a lot of guys at a first glance would say, well, they don't look like they're from Holland, but uh, they, they do have uh, they do have Dutch citizenship for the purposes of this tournament. So I think uh, I think if them and the Netherlands make it out and I believe the next stage is in Japan, two teams go from there. That could be Japan and Cuba. So uh, if Cuba could cross over, make it to Miami for the semifinal, anything, anything can happen there. But as you mentioned, the states are stacked. Dominican is stacked. Puerto Rico is stacked. Japan is stacked. Uh, Korea is strong. Um, I, I think that uh, the inclusion of, of of many of the names that have been rumored kind of bumps the bumps Cuba up, but maybe into the number six or the number five slot. Uh, all to say though, it's going to make for entertaining baseball, and, and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, I literally can't wait. Do, should I be a little confident in Team USA, or are they are they strong. still behind the eight ball, behind the Dominican and? No, um, I, I think they're neck and neck. I, I think they're neck and neck. I don't think you can lose with picking either one of those two teams. Now, I mean, at the same time, we've seen um, we've seen in previous World Baseball Classics, and actually, you know, Cuba at one point uh, when they were driven maybe a little bit more by uh, by that um, you know by that by that patriotic pride. You know, maybe the team. Um, and they're all going to be talented, but that team that gets a little bit extra out of a guy that, that, uh, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve and, 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 you know, can get there. But yeah, it, it, the, the States are strong. Dominican is strong. Puerto Rico is strong. As I said, it, it's, you look up and down those rosters and, and the amount of talent's incredible. And I think it's, it's great for the game of baseball overall. And uh, just hoping that the tournament uh, is exciting, is as exciting as it looks like it could be on paper. Do the Cubs have any Cuban players that are notable? Uh, so they did just recently sign uh, Roenis Elias, uh, a pitcher who is lighting it up in uh, in Dominican League, or, or basically was one of the top pitchers in the Dominican League. It figures to be a big part of the the Cuban team. Now he's veteran, uh, he's been around, so he strikes me as the type of guy that might have a bigger impact in a World Baseball Classic tournament than he necessarily will for the uh, for the Cubs. Um, so that's one of the names I know that I think they've signed a couple guys that are in the uh, in the in the lower minors, so they have a couple guys in their system as well but they haven't been they haven't been uber aggressive uh really since um since jorge soler was was the big signing whether or not they felt they got burnt on that and kind of moved away from it um so they they they've they've brought in a couple mature cubans but uh, they kind of stay out of that pipeline yeah for sure so not really related to cuban baseball but i feel like everybody who follows baseball can have an opinion on this carlos correa he was with the Houston Astros. They had Jeremy Pena ready to go, so they weren't going to be like, okay, Carlos, you could take our $300 million and we'll just waste Jeremy Pena. They let him go. He goes to the Twins, signs at like 3 in the morning, I remember. And I'm pretty sure you came on that week. I don't know why that rings a bell to me, but I'm pretty sure that was within a couple days of each other. But anyway, Carlos Correa goes to the Twins, opts out after one year, hits free agency, goes to the Giants, fails a physical. They delay the introductory press conference. Then that night he signs with the Mets. Now the Mets are having problems with his physical. It's not confirmed he's going to the Mets now. There are other teams calling for him. I got two two for one for you here. What is the end game for Carlos Correa, and what do you make of the whole situation? 
So the end game, um, well, actually, maybe I'll, I'll answer those in the opposite because um, what I found intriguing, I've had this discussion with a few people, is that uh, it's not even necessarily the physical that concerns them. It's people like, oh, it's an injury we knew about. The guy's been healthy to this point. Uh, it's more, it sounds as if they're having problems getting it insured. And so, and and even, like, you know, we've we've seen 10-year contracts before that have gotten insured. And, and whether it's the extra three years or whether it's just insurance games that, you know, uh that these uh these insurance companies have gotten a little bit smarter that they look at and realize you know what is is just a pure actuarial table if this guy does have somewhat of a history you know how many years before we can we can figure that we're going to be paying out on this and and whether or not that played into both the giants or the mets at first you know offering that sort of contract because i think it's been a fascinating uh, a fascinating offseason in that the number of longer term deals that we thought didn't exist anymore are being handed out and if that's a combination of um you know the current state if if teams have have uh, have looked at where inflation is and and kind of looking to say 11 years down the road for these guys that are getting uh, you know 26 26 728 million and an annual average value that's going to be you know a pittance if you get five six years out of and then if the guy breaks down can you recoup that in in insurance so if it's if it's a gimmicking of the system or if it's just because right now things are are relatively rife with cash and and you know go for it uh it's it's interesting to see that that a complete reversal after how many years of of kind of austerity and and pushing back on giving those longer term contracts the teams have now kind of reversed course on that but if some of the other kind of adjacent partners and, and again those insurance uh insurers are looking at it going whoa, whoa 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 you can sign that guy but we're not we're not assuming that risk so if this is just a matter of the mets um first and foremost having that kind of push back on them so something that may be real that you know okay we wanted to sign this we're fine with this we're we're fine with the risk of him as a player we're not fine with the risk of paying him not to play if that just turns into a renegotiation and if as the other kind of fat if the other um you know teams have fallen off the table um if they're just kind of waiting for him because you know i i have seen some people lament you know the giants you know they must be looking back and are angry well you think about it the window or or even the scenario shifted that much between when they decided to go in another direction that you know the market is is going down 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 so um does he end up with the Mets? I have the feeling that, you know, does it turn into, we'll give you less years. We'll give you, we'll, we'll give you more dollars at that point. You know, they seem to like the player. They want to make a splash. Not that they haven't already. Obviously they spent a lot of money, but, um, I think uh, unless he's willing to go to another kind of make good deal like he did with the twins and maybe that'll be forced, but I, I think unless he's forced, he's going to get a longer term deal somewhere. And, and it's probably with the Mets. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards the Mets as well. Um, so to close, I just got one more question for you. Who do you think so far is winning the offseason? I know you're, you're a Yankee fan, right? They're not having a yes. bad offseason by any means. It's in between. I mean, obviously, uh, picked up uh, – <laughs> sorry not to throw salt in the wound here – picking up a uh, big signing in, in Carlos Rodon and bringing back uh, Judge. Yankees are going to be in, a, in, a, in an odd situation, and, and I get this um, – 
all to say maybe this is where all of us as baseball fans can come together that uh twitter communities for every for every uh for every baseball team uh have a tendency to uh to panic or, or to to uh, to to worry a little too much over certain things versus the the fact of the matter is the yankees in 2023 are, are still going to win a bunch of games so i still don't think they're good enough but really what that's contingent on is the younger guys coming up the volpes of the world uh and and whether or not they can assimilate quickly and, and kind of push out some of those uh, the other you know kind of uh dead weight the josh donaldson so that are going anywhere right now so so there is that scenario in terms of winning the, the off season um you know you have to like um you have to like what the Astros have done, you know, uh, even in losing Verlander, you know, they're, they're still strong. Yeah. The Mets, uh, the Mets have, have, have spent a lot of money. As I said, um, it's only one team wins the world series every year. I know that's a brash statement, but uh, you know, teams spending this money, is it more, is it, is it a signal to their, to their fan base that they're in, you know, for everybody complaining about Steve Cohen spending as much money, you know, the, don't you wish your your owner was willing to do you know that to, to help your team win? It's just a matter of again, is it an about face that we've we've spent the past you know probably close to a decade trying to to push down the length of these contracts, develop younger players, and so is it a sign that the pendulum is swinging now? That again, that you know uh, spending money you know, on 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 these stars, even if they've been developed somewhere else, is is the way to go. Uh, it's very very interesting to see how how kind of that business model swings from time to time. Do you think it's largely because, okay, so Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, they were 25, though, yeah. when they were free agents. It was a very unique situation. Aaron Judge is 30. Correa's 30. Like, DeGrom, 30. When Cole was a free agent, he was 30. Same thing with Giancarlo Stanton. Like, it's just to me, like, that Bryce Harper-Manny Machado thing was so rare. Yeah. And But those two teams made it to the NLCS this year, so maybe teams are like, hey – if we spend big money on free agency, this is what will become of us. I don't know. No, I'm I'm with you, and it's funny. I mean, again, going back uh, a couple of years ago, because I, I I had uh, a few friends that looked at it and went, no, no one's worth that type of contract. But I was like, uh, if anybody is, no matter what you think about, if you thought Bryce Harper was up and down, if you thought Machado had attitude problems, we'd never seen two players at that age with that track record of doing what they have done become free agents. The only time we'd really seen one player like that uh, become a free agent was, was a rod and okay you know that's debate uh the, the all of the pros and cons no doubt about the, he produced kind of relative to to what that contract was especially looking back and seeing how sort of the, those dollars have stagnated relative to to inflation so um yeah i don't know if teams think that they missed out on that the, the only fear that i that i do have with that is you're right it's very different giving a 10-year contract to a 25 26 year old guy versus giving it to a 30 year old guy or again if, if they look at it and say you know what those dollars relative if if we if we maintain you know six seven eight uh, percent inflation is is that going to make these uh, contracts look way more palatable in five six years and at that point even if they flame out teams have found any deal is movable uh and and you can kind of compensate for it it's uh it's interesting it's not my is, is it my money i guess as a paying fan uh in in ways it is but it's it's not my decision to be made but again it is kind of interesting to see um 
Now, they always refer to the NFL as a copycat league. Maybe Major League Baseball has become a little bit of a copycat league that is, it's created this uh, this auction syndrome this year. And, and at the same time, that, that is underselling the fact that, you know, there is a lot of talent, you know, we, we did. And maybe maybe the fact that sort of that relative austerity created this, that all of these guys kind of coming out of this that that uh, that have kind of matured at the same time are available. And, and, and so... Um, you know, are they are they all generational talents? There's an argument to be made for it. So uh, it's yeah, it's very very interesting to to see that uh, team owners are are opening the uh, the purse strings after crying poor for so long. You know, I I kind of hate that term copycat league because every league's a copycat. Like think of the NBA. LeBron, Bosh, and Wade all were at the Miami Heat at the same time, and they were successful. So every other team tried to copy it. The Brooklyn Nets copied it a couple years later. Even LeBron tried to rekindle it in uh, Cleveland and then Los Angeles. But then the Warriors were like, hey, we could draft a super team and then bring in one free agent, Kevin Durant, and have the most wins ever. So now every other team is trying to build through the draft lately in the NBA. Same thing with hockey. You know, it used to be like a goon league, and then one team, the Chicago Blackhawks, started playing like a defensive-minded skill game, and every other team in the league tried doing that. Pittsburgh won two cups playing that same kind of game. Now it's going, everyone's got to be fast. If you're not fast, you can't play in the league. It's the same thing in baseball. So I completely agree with you, that copycat league thing. I just don't see a problem with it the way – like it seems to have no, a negative yeah. connotation to it. No, 100%, and also kind of the way that – or or if I – if I get into conversations with people that aren't baseball fans, I, I, I'm a salesman in my in my regular job. I don't have to be a salesman to them. But also, people always start with the the idea that oh, we need a salary cap. You know, baseball, the Yankees win every year. You're like, actually, baseball has had more unique winners or more unique champions over this this past twenty years. A lot of that is probably because they don't have the salary cap. Now, are there other teams that need to spend more? So, so where it dissuades kind of that idea where baseball hasn't necessarily been a copycat league compared to some of the others is that model has been a little bit different except in that you know that cost certainty develop your own players and then when the time is right strike go and trade for some pitching you know be able to spend on this but but it is interesting even if you look at you know look at the past uh maybe over decade and and going back to those giants championships you know that, that was interesting the way that they put that roster together then you have the royals then did the pendulum move back you've got the the red Sox kind of doing things a little bit differently and then with the dodgers trying to spend their way to a championship and only getting one so it, it is uh there there is more than one way to to skin a cat perhaps in in, in uh, obtaining a baseball championship compared to some of the other leagues but uh, yeah i'm with you they, everybody tries to copycat success so yeah if they added a salary cap to baseball the rays the A's and the Dodgers would each start a dynasty because they're just smarter than everybody else usually. And the teams that rely on money and spending, oh my God, the White Sox and the Cubs would be in big trouble if the MLB added a, a salary cap. Cause in order to, in order to be successful in a salary cap league, you need brains and a lot of baseball teams don't have that. It's all about who spends money here, who spends money there. Phil, I can't thank you for giving us 45 minutes of your time. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on. I know I'll want to have you on again when we start getting closer to the baseball season. Again, you are one of my very favorite guests, and I want to give you a second here to promote what kind of content you got coming out with CubaDugout.com and all sorts of stuff like that, your Twitter, all of it. 
Yeah, so I tried to make it uh, as easy as possible. CubaDugout.com, at CubaDugout on Twitter, on Instagram, on, on YouTube. Uh, a little bit slow right now, but actually um, going to be tracking. There's the Cuban Elite League um, uh, playoffs are going to be starting soon, but uh, even people in Cuba don't seem too concerned with that right now. So the World Baseball Classic is definitely sort of the um, is the big thing in the sphere. And I think there's going to be lots of news breaking between here and there. And, uh, you know, by the time hopefully um, the games are played in March, I'm hoping a very competitive Cuban team is going to be on the field and there's going to be lots of uh, lots of uh, positive stories to talk about there. And, and uh, anyway, I can help to, uh, to tell that story. I plan to be a part of it. Absolutely. I love to hear it. Phil, we can't thank you enough for coming on our show. Everybody, make sure you follow him at CubaDugout on Twitter.com and Instagram. Make sure you go to CubaDugout.com and read all of his articles. Watch the videos. Do it, do it, do it. It is incredible stuff. Phil, thank you again. We will send you to a quick commercial break. We're going to Baltimore. The Wire is the best show of all time. And I've never seen such riveting TV where I actually felt like I was in East and West Baltimore every single episode. And um, it was just absolutely riveting and captivating from season one all the way to season, you know, to it finished up. And I put your detective up there. McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. I mean, come on. It was just so well shot, so well written, directed. Like, I, don't, I feel like it's underrated as far as that list goes. Really good. Welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk, where I just want to end the show by giving a few housekeeping notes. I'm looking through Twitter here and seeing all the latest news with Major League Baseball. Obviously, the Miami Marlins last night decided that they were going to be bringing in Gene Segura to come play second base for them. There are rumors that he might play second base or shortstop and Jazz Chisholm Jr. is going to be playing second base. Listen, the Chicago White Sox better be on the phone with the Miami Marlins yesterday asking about Jazz Chisholm Jr.'s availability. This is a kid who is an absolute superstar. And he has, you know, been a little injured last year. He, before that, though, just such a good player. If he comes back in 2023 is in health and is healthy, not only is he an elite baseball player, he puts butts in seats. He is electric factory. The White Sox ought to be calling the Miami Marlins. He has local ties to Chicago. There's no reason that they shouldn't at least be trying to go for this kid. Tommy LaStella cut by the San Francisco Giants yesterday, trying to make room for some other players on the roster. Obviously, I reported on Twitter.com that the White Sox plan, as of right now, is to go for another catcher. They're going to have Yasmani Grandal. They want an upgrade over Sebi Zavala as a backup. Maybe they're able to get something like that done before the offseason starts. They do plan on staying with Oscar Colas, as I talked about with Phil Seelig earlier in the show, for their right field position next season. That'll be interesting to see if they start the rookie right off the bat. I will say this. It's better than using a corner infielder to play corner outfield. It's better than doing that. You'd rather have a rookie actual right fielder than somebody who is a veteran but a first baseman playing 
in the outfield. That's just not a good roster construction to have first baseman playing the outfield. Hopefully Colas is able to do it. And then second base, the plan as of right now, as I reported on Twitter, is that second base is planning on being internal for the White Sox. Obviously, they believe in Romy Gonzalez as the starting second baseman, and they plan on having Lenin Sosa as the potential backup. And one of those two is going to be the guy, unless they make a big trade, they would trade for Jazz Chisholm Jr., I assume. But if it's not someone like that, they're definitely staying in-house. Corey Kluber off the table. He signed a two-year deal with the Boston Red Sox after a cup of coffee with the Tampa Bay Rays, the New York Yankees. And then there was one other team he pitched for in between that and playing all those years with the Cleveland Indians. Obviously, he made a trip to the World Series with Cleveland in 2016. They were defeated by the Cubs. Nathan Eovaldi is moving on to the Texas Rangers. He will join Jacob deGrom as they are trying to build what is supposed to be a really good team there at this point. Johnny Cueto still looking for a home. Alex Verdugo. He's in trade rumors for the Boston Red Sox if they're trying to make moves. And then obviously the story with Carlos Correa. I'm assuming that by next show we might have an answer to that, but I honestly I can't say that it's for sure that that's going to happen. And then I wanted to close baseball news-wise with Chris Sale. There's rumors that the Red Sox have Chris Sale on the trade block. They put um, – they signed – what's his name? Corey Kluber. And Corey Kluber and Chris Sale used to battle all the way – back in the day when they were on the White Sox in Cleveland, respectively. But, you know, now they're on the same staff for now. Maybe the Red Sox will end up trading Chris Sale. I think the White Sox would be a great destination for him. They need a lefty. They need someone with kind of an attitude, playoff experience, all of it. And before we end the show today, I want to give a quick shout-out to my grandfather, Fred Mano. We are all thinking of you. We love you very much. And I hope everything goes according to plan. There's nobody I believe in this world that is stronger. And I'm hoping everything goes well. We love you very much. I can't wait to see you soon. As always, everyone, have a great day. And thank you for listening.